0: Welcome to Ojibwe Stories, Gaganunidida. We are here today with Valerie Shangro, the Director of the Leadership Programs at the Blendon Foundation in Grand Rapids, Minnesota, and with Roxanne Bashkwadamokwe Dalil of the Fond du Lac Tribal and Community College, who is presently the Dean of Indigenous and Academic Affairs. In a previous episode, Roxanne and Valerie were able to share with us um, some of their respective leadership journeys, uh, acknowledging some of those places and important people who have helped them find the place where they are today and empowering them to be able to do top-notch and cutting-edge work in leadership. One of the important programs that both of them are involved in is the Blandin Community Leadership Program and the Blandin Reservation Community Leadership Program. Uh, The program has been in existence for um, many, many years and has, across the span of Indian country, helped empower hundreds, if not thousands, of leaders at this point in time. So today, um, we are honored to have both Valerie and Roxanne here. Uh, Valerie is a director of the program and Roxanne as one of its trainers to be able to share some of their reflections about the program, its philosophies of operation, and the impact it has had on Indian country. So we are grateful to each of you for joining us again here at Gokanon Deda and being willing to share some of your stories and journey in this leadership area that you each work in. Greetings, Valerie.
1: Greetings. Thank you.
0: And Bonjour, Roxanne. Bonjour. So if, Valerie, you could tell us a little bit about your work with the Blandon Foundation and how your work is directly related to helping develop leadership in Indian country.
1: Sure. Well, I came to the Blandon Foundation 10 years ago, and I described my position as my dream come true job. Everything I had done in my graduate work had been Developing capacity to build leadership skills in communities, in specifically Indian communities. I had done my dissertation on resiliency in an American Indian community. I had in the past worked with rural communities, some mainstream and some native, with another company that developed leadership skills in another state and found that I loved that place of working with the whole community. So after I graduated, gotten my PhD, I started casting around for other work, and really the Blandin Foundation found me. They were doing a national search for a new director of the leadership program, and they hired a search consultant, and somehow this person found me and called me up, and we started talking, and I remember him asking me, are you comfortable moving to a rural community? And I was in a pretty small community then, Mm -hmm. but I said, yeah. And he said, why? And I said, because I am rural. Mm -hmm. You know, I grew up on a reservation. It was rural. I said, it's a different kind of rural, but it was small town, and I'm a small town girl. Mm -hmm. So one thing led to another, and here I am 10 years later. Part of what excited me about this job when I did my research, because I hadn't even heard of the Blandin Foundation and Mm so... As soon as we hung up, I started doing my research to figure it out, and I saw that they had a reservation leadership program. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I was, oh, I hope they hire me. I want to be in. I want to do this. <laughs> that was, oh, it just was so exciting to think about, and it was really and truly everything I trained to do.
0: Wow. So we, we are happy you found that dream job <laughs> in, of course, Grand Rapids, the heart of Minnesota. So Roxanne, now we know that you also are quite involved with the leadership program at the Blendon Foundation. Could you share with us a little bit about what you do with the program and what inspired you to become a part of it?
2: Mm. Well, I'm a consultant and largely what I do is I do training for the program, but also help to develop some of the curriculum. I think I've been there now maybe 13, 12, 13 years. Um, oh, and I'm I'm like Valerie. I don't know how in the world they found me. But I again, this is one of those situations where I was connected to the right people, and um, it just happened that way. Jackson Huntley was my advisor at UMD. <laughs> And he liked me, evidently, and I I always got along great with him, but I didn't realize that he had been watching me. Mm -hmm. And so when I graduated, he approached me and he asked me, would this be something you'd be interested in? And at the time, the first time he approached me, it was not good timing. I was not in a good place. I was struggling. I was going through lots of different things. And so I had to turn him down. And then I went off to grad school, and a couple years later I run into him at Perkins, Roxanne, what are you doing? Well, you know, I'm looking for a job. Oh, well, I've got a job for you. You absolutely have to come. So he, he convinced me to come. And what I thought I was applying for, what I thought I was, I was going to talk to them about, was doing diversity training. And so to my surprise, that wasn't it at all. And instead, I'm like Valerie. I just went, oh, my God, I want this job. <laughs> and I've been there since. And I remember telling one of my co-trainers uh, a while back, I said, I'm a lifer. And, and his response was, we'll see. <laughs> well, all these years later, I'm still there. But anybody who knows me and anyone who's ever gone through the program, I think it's pretty visible that I love what I do. Mm-hmm. I love my job. Yeah. I love that. I am so grateful That Jackson saw in me something that I didn't recognize at the time. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that this was something that I could do. And um, he nudged me and encouraged me. And so there's another one that did that to me. Yeah. Of
0: course, uh, Jackson Huntley, much beloved member of the UMD and Duluth community who we remember very fondly. And we are grateful that the Blendon Foundation, in their wisdom and resourcefulness, um, sought you both out and made you each a part of this very special program. Now, one of the things that I think you both noted was that many organizations in the world have leadership programs, and oftentimes they're based or can be based on these generic models, uh, number of core values, number of core skills, number of core competencies. Yet there is this unique distinction which the Blended Foundation in its leadership programs has made and maintained and I think our listeners would be quite interested in in learning about the different programs and how they are different. Mm
1: -hmm. I think one of the things that makes our programs, both BCLP as well as BRCLP, so powerful is that we know relationships matter. That's our mantra, that relationships matter. And when I came, when I first came, I said, I have to know what it is I'm directing. So I went through the program. They were getting ready to do a leadership program in Grand Rapids. And so I went through with the BCLP because that was where I was living. And then I went, I didn't participate, but sat through, observed and did some participation in all of BRCLP. Mm -hmm. And I was struck at how much intentionality is built around making sure that good relationships are built. One of the reasons that can happen is because it's a residential retreat. We do it out at a lodge up in northern Minnesota, and I think how we do things is as important as what we teach. Don't you, Roxanne? Yeah,
2: I agree, I agree. I think it is, it's all about relationships. Much like other programs, we do provide some core values, some core competencies, and a, and a very clear framework. But um, it's the encouragement of the relationships, and it's the nudging again of helping them to see the central importance of those relationships in their community and how important it is to build and, and intentionally develop those relationships that really is the core and the heart of the program. Yeah.
0: Now you each use the word community, um, and we know that's an important fundamental part of the program as well. Could you tell us a little bit about how the programming has revolved around this notion of community and strengthening community and operating from that vantage point?
1: Well, that's Mm -hmm. kind of like the birthing story. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll share what I know. Mm -hmm. Um, Back in 1985, when rural communities all over the United States were struggling, in a lot of places, it was farm communities. But up in northern Minnesota, it was mining and timber communities were struggling. And apparently, the board of directors was meeting and talking about what to do because there was such a crisis. And someone on that board said, well, this I know. Nothing can happen without good leadership. And so that was the spark that got them to thinking about what if we invest in leadership development. And as the story goes, they took a team to the Center for Creative Leadership, Mm -hmm. Leadership Mm -hmm. Development Center for Creative Leadership, and went through their training program, which was geared toward CEOs of high-powered companies, and came back and said, you know, that was great, but that doesn't quite fit what we do. Mm -hmm. We work with rural community leaders. Mm -hmm. And so then adapted it to be relevant to community of place rather than communities of interest. That's really how it got started. Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. And so
1: we always serve communities of place.
2: And then somewhere along the line, there were a number of people that were involved in it. And so I hope not to miss anybody, but I know Kathleen Annette mm-hmm. and, and Rick Smith. There were a number of people that were involved that recognized tribal communities are also rural communities. Mm-hmm. Because that was the, the main guiding force of the community leadership program, that they must be rural communities. Mm-hmm. And so um, proposed that tribal communities were also rural communities, and so they started to talk about how to develop a reservation community leadership program. At first, it was very much the same as the community leadership program, and then later on, we recognized that tribal communities are very distinct, and in fact, are very different, and so um, we tailored it. We then tailored the community leadership program to be more reflective of the tribal community leadership
0: could you ladies tell us a little bit about the program model, how it's set up, how it's designed, and how it's implemented?
2: Well, the model of change has been and has remained, I want to say, since the very beginning, the same model, which is the development of three core competencies built around community leadership, that that any community leader needs to have in their toolbox three core competency sets. And that's around framing, developing social capital, and about mobilizing the community. And it has stayed that way all along. That is the foundation of the program. And even with the tribal community program, when we modified it and adapted it to be more reflective, that too stayed as a foundational tool. Because we've seen that it is tried and true. Mm-hmm. It, it is, in mm-hmm. fact, a theory of change in community. That and it works work. quite well, yeah. yes. Yeah.
1: Over time, we have woven more and more and more cultural relevance into the program. A few years ago, Roxanne and I were on a design team that tackled redesigning that program. Again, structurally, it stayed the same, but... Mm-hmm. We got a lot of feedback from our alumni saying, you know, we deal with some unique issues in reservation communities. We need help dealing with those. And so we sat down and tackled that and looked at some of those unique issues and asked ourselves, how do we help people work through those in order to build healthy community? Mm -hmm. And um, over time, it's become more and more culturally relevant, I guess, is what I would call it, but Mm -hmm. um, the structure Mm-hmm. The core competencies, the way we talk about them might be a little bit different. but
2: Yeah, and I wouldn't say that it's anything um, monumental. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't say that there's anything in the program that isn't, oh, my God, I never knew that. Yeah, no. and, and in fact, it really is a, a re-clarification of what those core skills are that they already have, mm-hmm. which makes it so useful to everybody is it's, it's pulling from them, relifting something that is natural to them, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that are the skills that they already use. Instead, it is intentional.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: If there is a word that, that participants hear continuously, it is intentional and intentionality and being thoughtful. And so it's that intentionality of the program that I think has got to be one of the foundational cores to it as well.
1: I would agree, and when I talk to people when I'm giving a welcome, I tell them, "You're going to get a chance to learn some skills, and they're not new. I would wager they're not new to anyone, but they're timeless, mm-hmm. and they're vital, and they're skills that just don't go away when you're working with
2: people. Yeah, but it lifts them to a different place. Yeah, you know, it lifts them to where it's visible again, and they and but the thing I think I like the very most is that it's applicable. And it's something that they have within themselves, Mm -hmm. and they recognize it. Oh, I can do this. Mm -hmm. I love by the third day that everybody's going, and you ask them, are you a leader? Oh, yeah, I'm a leader. And they get it. They recognize that it has always been a part of their life.
0: Mm -hmm. So by the first day, perhaps when people are coming in and maybe not recognizing their leadership capacity, let alone being leaders, to the third day be able to see those various things Mm -hmm. that they've done all the way along. That is truly remarkable. I cannot help but imagine in your respective journeys, I'm sure by now you have worked with a lot of people in communities, and I'm sure you see that impact as you travel around Indian country and get to interact with folks.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, and Roxanne just came off of a workshop, and I hear there were some pretty powerful stories being told. Maybe if there's something you could share
2: there. Yeah. This was an amazing group. I think of just a young man who because uh, the community that he's from now is struggling with its law enforcement. But there's such an epidemic of opioids in the community, how a group of them pulled together and they created (laughs) the squad. It's a squad that goes out and and helps people, and um, they let people know that they're loved and they'll never be ignored again. Natives Against Heroin. They took it and they turned it around and made it so true to who they were as a people. Um, And I loved the mantra, we'll never ignore you again. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I mean, there was just so many powerful stories that came out of the community and out of their, their, I mean, it couldn't be anything else but leadership. And yet for them, it was, well, we were just doing what needed to be done. That's
0: incredible. So natives against heroin. Yeah. So nah to heroin, right? Yeah. In country sand. Yeah. Very powerful. Yeah.
2: indeed, indeed. Yeah. So many stories, though. Oh my goodness. I mean, when you think about our communities as tribal communities, it really is different, and it's so evident in even. There's a piece in there where they do a little skit about their dream of future community, and the the significant difference in how those skits are put together between the rural community program and the reservation community program. They just approach it differently, they do it differently, and it is so powerful and the amazing stuff they come up with. I mean, I don't even know where they get the stuff from or how they have the energy to do it.
1: I think you know one of the reasons it's so powerful is because we tell people the way we define leadership is doing what needs to be done to build and sustain healthy community. That comes from anywhere. And we say that, too. Leadership comes from anywhere. And so people understand that all the things they've been—it's like Roxanne and I doing what we thought needed to be done. We -hmm. didn't translate that or equate that with being a community leader. Most people don't. And it's really fun to watch people go, oh, my, I have power to do good, and I can do it, and I've been doing it, and I can keep doing it. And to watch that light— come yes. on.
2: Yeah. It's the light. Yeah. That has got to be the selling feature for working in the communities. Hey, yeah. it's the light that comes on. It's the subtle shift that happens by Wednesday, and it always happens by Wednesday. And they are just filling up, and you can just see them swelling and filling. I love mm-hmm. that.
1: And one one of the reasons that's so clear is because also we've been very intentional that our programs would not be deficit-based. They would not look at communities for all their problems. Mm -hmm. It's not that we ignore them. We talk about the tough stuff, but we make sure people look too at the strengths, the resources, the gifts, the talents, all the things that they already have Mm -hmm. to use moving forward. And so we're a very strength-based program. Well, all our Mm -hmm. programs are very Mm -hmm. strength-based, asset-based And people get energized around that. You know, Mm -hmm. if if all you ever hear is what's wrong with you, what a bummer. (laughs) What a downer. But we, again, not not that communities don't talk about the tough stuff, Mm -hmm. but they talk about what they've got going for them that will help them address it. So I, I think that's a huge difference.
2: I agree. And I think, too, that we help to role model how to flip that over. Because sometimes it's hard, if you're accustomed to being in a situation that is Mm -hmm. deficit-based, it's hard to see what the strength of that is. And we're constantly helping them to see the flip side of it. Next thing you know, they're doing it themselves. Everywhere.
1: Not only in themselves, but in the community as well. Themselves as leaders, their strengths, their gifts, their talents, and the strengths of the whole community. Mm
0: -hmm. Now, my understanding is you bring this program to the communities. Is that how that works in its implementation? Or out into rural Minnesota as much as possible? Does that happen?
1: Yeah, the residential retreat happens at a resort up in northern Minnesota, but the follow-on workshops that we do are in or close to, as close as we can get to communities, yeah.
0: Which is a nice shift as well when so many times people from tribal communities are expected entirely to leave the reservation and go to a different place and Mm -hmm. hopefully what they gain there will apply. But in this program, I think just being so firmly grounded in the needs of communities, and I loved how you use that word to be healthy, to help us create and maintain healthy communities. And mm-hmm. um, I loved how you both were inspired by seeing that light mm-hmm. come on and look to the strengths that our people have and how those strengths can help us overcome those known deficits in communities and not being afraid of those either. Mm-hmm. Huge strength in and of itself with mm-hmm. this program. I can't help but imagine then as you have worked with so many communities and so many different leaders um, in communities or people who have become leaders, that as you travel around Indian country, I imagine it's not uncommon to run into alumni.
2: <laughs> Boy, sure All the isn't. time.
1: <laughs> All the time. We have between five and 600 American Indian alumni. We have... Wow. 7,000 total alumni in this state when you look at all the programs. Incredible. BRC, the Reservation Leadership Program, the Community Leadership Program, a couple other smaller programs that we have. When you put all those alumni together, we have around 7,000. And wherever I go in this state, if for some reason people learn that I am the director of those programs, inevitably someone will come to me and say, you know, I've been through your program and it changed my life. Hmm. I heard that so many times when I first got here, and I'm like, huh, okay. You know, I had a young Native woman approach me once and say, I went through your reservation program, and she kind of lined up life-changing experiences, my spirituality, my master's degree, and your program.
0: Outstanding. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I was recently in a Native community where every one of their elected leaders
2: is an alum. hmm <laughs>
0: Now that is something to hang on the wall yeah. and be really, really proud of. Amazing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't think there's a community, and I have been in every reservation community in the state of Minnesota. Mm-hmm. There is not a community that I can walk in where people don't walk up to me because mm-hmm. I'm the trainer. Yeah. They know me everywhere I go. And so what it's done, though, is it, it holds me to a level of integrity that I have to constantly be mindful of because I would never want to go out and act in a way or, or be seen in a way that in any way contradicts what I teach, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and it's a beautiful thing, though, because it's yeah. a continuous and constant thing. No matter where I go, in any area of Ojibwe country, Dakota country, in Minnesota, there's somebody that's going to walk up to you, yeah. And you're right, the leaders, you'd be surprised. Look in the communities at the movers and the shakers in the community, and you will find Bland and Alum.
1: But, you know, I think, too, one of the things I think is so beautiful as I watch the program and when I watch Roxanne and others train out there, there's two things that I think the trainers bring into the room that are absolutely stellar. (laughs) One is an absolute trust that communities know what they need and can do it. And the other is this openness to Mm. saying, yes, we have some things to share with you but you are going to teach us a lot too. And that openness to that being a learning and a giving and that reciprocity in learning from the community leaders as well as sharing skills or whatever with them. Those two things, to me, speak to a doing with, a respect, a humility that, you know, my doctoral program advisor Mm -hmm. (laughs) used to say, it's a difference between being the sage on the stage... Or the guide on the side. And to a person, they walk in as a guide, not a sage. And I love that.
2: Yeah. It's the constant putting them in front because it's not about us. The program itself, it's not about us. We have some nice little skills to remind them. But really, it is all about them. Mm -hmm. All about them. And the visible change in just simply being acknowledged is so amazing. And I think that that's the beauty because by the end of the week, they're doing it to each other. Mm -hmm. We don't do a whole lot as trainers, really. Mm -hmm. We, We just are up there nudging them to be the very best they can be.
1: Wow. But you are. Mm-hmm. You're role models, you show them oh, respect. Yeah, absolutely. You treat be. them like they deserve to be treated. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons I think the residential setting is so important too. Because if people went home at night they wouldn't have that chance to build those relationships because we provide what we call a hospitality room. Mm -hmm. And so after hours, people can go to this hospitality room, trainers don't go in there, Mm -hmm. and they can play games or have conversations or drink pop or pop popcorn or whatever they want to do. And it's really, or sit around a fire or whatever outside. Those times are just as powerful as what goes on in the training room. Yeah, like you say,
0: relationships matter. They do. Yep, yeah. Yeah, That yeah. opportunity to build them sometimes is so rare today. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's a very, I think, yeah. evidently important feature.
2: And the opportunity to be silly. Oh, my goodness, our last crew, they found sleds. I don't know where they got these sleds from. But they took off, and uh, these are all grown adults outside sliding down hills, acting silly, rolling in the snow. It was mm-hmm. the cutest thing I ever saw <laughs> in my life. <laughs>
0: Sounds great, actually. Um, <laughs> yeah, we do have some sleds, I think, in the other room. So maybe after this episode, we'll get a chance to go out and enjoy oh, got- the Minnesota snow.
1: We gotta get him to go through. I know.
0: <laughs> I, I'm I'm sold. Um, in fact, I was gonna ask you, ladies, just to describe, you know, why programs like this are important in Indian country, and I think it's evident, uh, just from the stories that you've told here today. Looking to the future. Um, maybe even, you know, thinking beyond Minnesota for a moment too, but what would you see as a future hope for this program and other like programs and, you know, our local, but maybe as a country too, how you could speak to that?
2: The ripple. The ripple. That's the only thing I can think of offhand is Mm -hmm. the ripple. It's like the pebble that's dropped into the water and how it ripples out. If there was anything that I would really want to see in the future is that it continues to ripple, that it's not just in Minnesota communities. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, you see that ripple coming out into other communities. Mm -hmm. Um, I know I, I walk in a small circle and I get that, but I have in just a few years that I've worked with Blandin now, I have seen a flip, a subtle shift that's beginning to occur of where we are being more positive towards each other. There isn't as much visibility of the crabs-in-the-bucket syndrome, that that we are starting to walk away from oppression and, and walk away from the trauma in our lives and its manifestations. I, I really want to believe that we are. And that happens one person at a time. Mm-hmm. When I look to the future, it's all about the ripple. And that's my dream, Yep, yeah.
1: that yeah. this program will continue making those ripples. Mm -hmm. I would hope, too, that eventually, as Roxanne and I hinted, we're going to retire someday. And I hope that whoever else comes up behind us continues to listen to communities, listen to the people in them, so that the programs can be relevant, listen to what leaders need, and continue to respond to that.
0: Thank you both for helping us close with that very powerful metaphor of the ripple. I think so many times with leadership, we are waiting for the wave or the tsunami or or we're expecting this hugely powerful force to come and overtake us but then dissipate and disappear the beauty of that ripple metaphor is it's consistent and it repeats and it's as far as you can possibly see in the way that it moves and i think that's a very powerful way to to help us close this conversation today on leadership so thank you both to Valerie Shangro, Director of Leadership Programs with the Blendon Foundation, Uh, to Roxanne DeLille, who is a consultant and trainer with the programs, for those of you who are interested in learning more about the and Foundation Leadership Programs, uh, we will be featuring a link to the website on the KUMD site here. Please feel free to uh, look at those programs and explore the many good things that those hold for all of our rural communities. Thank you so much, ladies. Bidamaya uh, Miigwech.
1: Pidamaya. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Brian. Miigwitch.
2: This is Gaga Nonidida, Ojibwe Stories. Our host today is Brian McInnes, Associate Professor at the College of Education and Human Service Professions at UMD. To listen again to past episodes of Ojibwe Stories, click on the Programs tab at kumd.org. Funding provided in part by the Minnesota Indian Affairs Council and by the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.